0: And I'm Jenny. And this is Have You Heard Of. It's the podcast for two best friends, us, finally hold each other accountable for all those pop culture recommendations we keep giving each other. This week, it's my pick, uh, with possibly the tightest turnaround ever between release and discussion, because we're talking about the new movie, Tick, Tick, Boom.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't even know this thing was a thing until you're like, hey... Watch this thing. And I was like, oh, that's why there was that photo of Justin McElroy and Sydney McElroy had a thing with Lin-Manuel Miranda.
0: This makes more Having sense to me a big night out. Very happy for them.
1: But before I get started, I have a spotlight. Brilliant. And though the spotlight is not that you may hear some ambient like rain sounds as we're recording because we're currently underwater in British Columbia. So there's that. But my spotlight this week is actually two things. I thought you were one really umbrella really for a
0: second.
1: <laughs> no, my umbrella sucks. Um no. I have like a really bad one that's small but it's fine and then I have like a golf umbrella that's great but like way too big to just like use in public, you know. Um first one is kind of a throwback to last week, last t- last episode is I finally found the Lauv album, <laughs> physical media. I went to the store and like again I like asked like like six months ago and they're like we'll call you when we get it in and I was just around and I looked and it was one copy of it was there and I was like they didn't call me but hey I'm here and I'm just going to grab it and this is perfect so I did and I've been listening to it in my car nonstop and it is very great. The main spotlight is, um is something that Emma knows really well, <laughs> your face is like, tell me more, <laughs> Um, is the podcast Dungeons and Daddies. Oh, yeah, baby! <laughs> oh, man, it's so good. So this is a and d podcast about four dads that have been transported into the forgotten realms on a search to find their children. Freddie Wong would be and so proud of you right now. <laughs> it is so nice i've not done it i'm about halfway through episode 33 so far um but i've been making my way through it like i have not really stopped listening to it like anytime i have like going to work or during a break or just like doing dishes or anything i like have it on and it took me a little while to like get into the swing of things um like with any like D&D podcast. It's you need to get a feel for the characters a
0: little bit first. And for the players? Yes. And what that means for the
1: show. Exactly. Exactly. And um as a big like Taz fan, um I was like it takes a while to get used to like other people's gameplay, but um after about like episode 5, I was like okay cuz Emma has been recommending it to me for a while. And I like listened to the half of the first episode. I was like, oh, okay, it's fine. And then I like, I was like, you know what, Jenny? Like you have some time. You don't, you have a headache. You don't want to look at things. You just want to listen. Like, let's just start doing this. And I was like, oh no. Like it's gotten to the point What it's like, which is my favorite part about D&D is when you start to like fully care.
0: Where it's still jokes, 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 but then the story just turns and you care so deeply about all of them and about where the story is going.
1: The character development and like the emotions—not only that, like the players, but the characters—and like you get to follow like three dads: Ron, Glenn, Henry, and Daryl. They just like are trying their best, and it's such big dad energy, and it's so nice. And it's just like they're all so different and unique, but it's I we we've had discussions just off recording about it and how we like have friends I, off mics, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> in, in case you guys didn't know, um. They have really did a good job of playing how characters, like and people in general, like they have a specific facade when they first meet because they weren't close, they're just their kids or in a Yeah, a soccer as the dads group. aren't
0: friends when they meet, like when the show starts.
1: And so like they're playing it as if like, oh, like we're with kind of new people, we're dads, we have responsibility. And then eventually you're starting to slowly see like their barriers and this facade they put on fall away. So some characters start to snap at other ones, or like you get a little bit of backstory or People become fully their own and not being, like, ashamed of who they are. And it's just a really good time. So if you'd like D&D podcasts or you like storytelling and, like, some good jokes but also some good heartfelt stuff, please listen to Dungeons & Daddies. It is great. It's just
0: such a testament to the hosts as well because they are all really good friends in real life obviously, and, like, have worked together on many other projects. The fact that they can nail this dynamic of, like, characters getting to know each other when they are coming to the show with so much history is really incredible. Yeah. And it's
1: really, I think they do a really good job of dividing between, like, what their character would do and, like, not taking it personally. Like, you can tell when they're having discussions that they will use the character's name to
0: very much have that barrier of, like, my character's mad at your character. I'm not mad at you. Like, I think they do a really good also job of Also, just that. the production values of this show are incredible. They're they're previously on recaps uh, are a wonder to behold. <gasps> and they also <gasps> do dad facts, little fun facts with the dads every episode. Yeah. And it's so funny because they start off as jokes, but then they become a part of the story in a way, and like, in and informing these characters. So it's just a really smartly laid out show as well. Yeah. So definitely
1: check that out. It's a, it's a fun, fun time. And... There are sometimes
0: musical numbers as well. Yes, let's use that as a transition. Uh, <laughs> today we're talking about Tick, Tick, Boom, a mm. film adaptation of the now off-Broadway musical. Uh, it wasn't off. Uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> I was just talking about the, <laughs> of the show and I was like, that's too complicated for uh, an introductory mm. sentence. But we're talking about Tick, Tick, Boom, which is directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda in his feature film Directorial Debut, starring Andrew Garfield, about the work and life of Jonathan Larson, who is today and forever best known as the man who created uh, Rent, the musical. I didn't
1: think I ever heard of this musical before. Of course I know what Rent is. I am a human. <laughs> I know what Rent is. Um, <laughs> and But I didn't know about Tick, Tick, Boom. One song sounded vaguely familiar, but then I was like, it probably was in Glee. That's probably why I heard it. Oh, man. Like, what a way to spend a day. Like, that just line just sounds really familiar to
0: me. I didn't watch all of Glee, so it's entirely possible to up. That mm. song uh, uses a lot of uh, music from other musicals. Uh, so that uh, might be what you're recognizing as well. Prob-
1: you know what? Probably.
0: Because it pulls from Mary Poppins and West Side yeah. Story as he talks about this history. So it is very, like, because I was like, oh, my God, did Glee do Tick, Tick, Boom? <laughs> uh, so that was what that face was. It was just a, oh, oh my God. probably. But that, like, besides that, I didn't
1: know much about, like, I I knew a little bit about Jonathan Larson. Because he did Rent. And so it was really interesting to listen to and watch because it has such a specific style. Mm -hmm. It is such like that Rent, like rock style. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, actually, like, he did change the face of Broadway. He really did. And musical theater. I
0: know. People tend to get... I'm saying people very generally, but I get very mm. annoyed over this discussion of Rent wasn't that big a deal, actually. Rent's not that inventive. back to our very first episode of like, John Carter, the book and the movie has a lot of problems. I love them anyways, mm-hmm. but like they have a lot of problems. But people see them today and are like, well, that's not that inventive. It's not that original. I'm like, you forget that it was the first. And people are like that with yeah. Rent where they're like, oh, what's so special about Rent anyways? It's not that big a deal. And it was a big deal. There was no yeah. music. Like, there was nothing like that on Broadway. Every- Rock musical. Every musical that wasn't like Andrew Lloyd Webber owes it yeah. from the past twenty five years owes itself to rent in some way.
1: Oh, definitely. Like it really changed the perspective, not only the style of music, but the storytelling and whose stories were being told. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that is about Broadway in a sense of like it's about that like bohemian, which I try to Google. Is like what is it because. I always hear people talk about, like, Bohemian, but, like, is it just, like... I, I, when I Googled it, I think it's, like, an unconventional lifestyle. <laughs> but life. art yeah. Or something like that. And I'm, like... That's, like, the, the tragic artist, like, people, like, oh, I want to, like, work in a diner and do all these things and, like... And live an and element... die for my art. Yeah, and, like, I think this film and this musical... Similar to Rent, do a good job of showing the romanticized version of it, but then also the reality of it. And it's really, like, balances the two of, like, I want to live for my art and all these things and all the great. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, like, people in my community are dying. Also, like... I can't pay rent, I can't do all, like, it's I have no a money, good balance, no <laughs> yeah, it's a good balance of, like, the good and the bad, and, like, it's not like one is better than the other or goes against it, it's, I think it can be good and bad mm-hmm. at the same time, and I think it does a really good job of showing that.
0: Yes, and so Tick, Tick, Boom originated as, uh, like, an off-off-Broadway monologue, where it was just Jonathan Larson performing it. I do probably want to talk about the history of the show itself. Um, but then it evolved into after his death and evolved into a three person production where people wanted to revive it because it's so interesting. Cause so much of this musical is about Jonathan having to realize what comes next, mm. but in try and people trying to find more work with Jonathan, Jonathan Larson, we never got what comes next. So we had to move yeah. backwards and pull out things like tick, tick, boom. Uh, so mm. then it was revived as a three person show because they were like, it's, It's not Jonathan telling it anymore. And we have this idea of who Jonathan is that's moved beyond his personal monologue. So it was Mm. revived as um, where you have Michael and Susan as well. And then those two actors play multiple parts. And Ah. then it was expanded again for this film where it's you know a movie so of course they're not going to have the same three actors playing all the parts they're going to expand the world create these characters and do a really fantastic job of it I I could keep going but I was just wondering if you had anything to add on to here because I was like (laughs) my train of thought's gonna crash really soon (laughs) no it's
1: okay yeah I was wondering like In the original production, like, I wasn't sure if it was him performing it, because it's the movie, and, like, we should take it as, like, the movie itself, but it's also important to talk about what the stage production Mm -hmm. was, because in the film, it's, like, a combination of a stage production and flashbacks and, like, real life, and so it kept making me think, like, oh, if this was, like, on stage, like, how do they do that? So it makes sense when it's, like, the narrator- Side of it and like different aspects of like, okay, so that makes more sense to me because I was like, how do how would they do this on stage? Because it's a bunch mm-hmm. of different things. But yeah, so
0: do you know? Can you tell me a little more about the history of it? Yeah, I can't. So actually, what I was I say? It was something I have been, I guess, struggling with with the movie. I love the movie, by the way. That's why I brought it to Jenny when I saw it like a week and mm. a half ago. Um, but I was struggling with it because I think everyone isn't really sure what the appropriate way to view this musical is. Do you view it as a monologue from Jonathan Larson where you just look at it because this was pre-rent where you look at it as this man mm-hmm. who's in his now early 30s reflecting on his yeah. life so far and what he's going to do next but what from what we know now it becomes impossible to look at that to be like oh he's struggling now but he's gonna win a pulitzer with then oh but he never actually got to receive the pulitzer because he died before Rent opened off broadway and so you're yeah. just like it's impossible to now look at this the way people actually would have when it opened in 1990 mm. um Ooh, yeah. and so i think this The main change the movie makes is that it bookends the movie with acknowledging the existence of Rent and the impact of Rent. And there's uh, voiceover monologues from the character of Susan talking about, you know, this musical broke records. It ran on Broadway for 12 years. Uh, It inspired so many of the performers who appear in this movie. And so it's right to do that. I was looking up kind of where Lin-Manuel... Miranda made the decision to include acknowledging Jonathan's life outside of his experiences during Tick, Tick, Mm. Boom. And one thing he said, actually, that I thought was interesting, where he said he had to add on the bookends for people who didn't know who Jonathan Larson was. He's like, well, if you don't know who Jonathan Larson is and you don't know about Rent, which I think honestly is possible. I was chatting with another friend who's not as into musical theater and they were like, oh, do I have to watch Rent first? And I was like, no, they're, they're unrelated. They're just by the same person. Uh, so because uh, I know he read right yeah. before. Um And so Lynn my mom Miranda felt he had to add on the bookends. People fully understood, you know, Jonathan was struggling. But look at his impact where I think, if anything, I disagree because the bookend exists for people who do know who Jonathan Larson is. If you don't know who Jonathan Larson is, then you're looking at the story as Jonathan originally wanted to tell it. But when you are coming mm. at it with this larger knowledge, it's this elephant in the room where you're like, you have to talk about it. That's true. I feel like I'm just talking in circles, but it's so tricky to look at. I completely
1: agree with you because it's it's similar to like any art of like depending on how you frame it or your intentions, like whoever receives it with whatever their prior knowledge is, it will be different for that person. Mm-hmm. You can't, in a movie adaptation, not recognize who that person is Exactly. because this movie wouldn't be made if he didn't make rent.
0: Exactly, exactly. That's the thing is if you, no one would care about Tick-Tick Boom, Tick-Tick Boom would have been completely forgotten if Jonathan Larson hadn't written it. Yeah, rent. and I don't think that is a bad thing,
1: but I also feel like it has another weight to it, knowing that he did pass away. Mm-hmm. That- and like this element of like, oh, like he's gonna, he's getting there, he's gonna do good, and you're like, you know, it's gonna happen. and You're like, oh, but I know, like he's not gonna, he's make not gonna it know either. about it. Yeah, and it's like that tragic, like Vag thing of like they didn't even know yeah. how like big their artistry went well but when you see it as like just an artist who created it like i could say i could show this to a family member who maybe doesn't know rent very well and they say oh rent like if they they're like oh, okay that's a big musical and then they watch it they would be like oh like the struggling person that did like succeed later um and but if someone like didn't know rent at all it will they would still be like oh wow he did stuff cool yeah like i I think, like, you can't not mention it. Mm-hmm. So I
0: like that they say, I like, this it is too. the person from Rind. Um, And I was going to say, it's like, there's this whole other layer of it that this movie is about a man afraid of turning 30 who we know is going to die Well, when he's 35, played by an actor who's 38. And so Andrew Garfield oh. is coming at this from an entirely different perspective as, a, as an artist and as a creator. And Andrew Garfield, like, did achieve success fairly early on, but he was in his, like, mid-20s, mm-hmm. I think, when he broke out with Social Network, but was, it also doesn't include into me that Andrew Garfield's almost 40 because he was 30 when he was playing Peter Parker. <laughs> so, like, that's oh, always yeah. been 10 years ahead.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, that's, the, the irony of, like, the ages and stuff, like, when it first started, and like the thirty song started, I was like, I didn't because the only thirty song I thought ever was the Bo Burnham thirty song, and I was like, now I have another song that I am allowed to blare into in like a year from now. Sorry,
0: <laughs> I feel 30. like all of my picks from the past year have been about people being freaking out because they're getting older. Because I was like Romy and Michelle, Barb and Star. <laughs> we never did an episode on it, but we definitely talked about inside. I mean, hey.
1: I picked a a movie specifically called Dirty Thirty. Oh my gosh! So I forgot
0: about that. (laughs) Oh, I knew there was another one. Oh yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) I I didn't know Andrew Garfield say this is the first time he's ever sung. (laughs) One like behind the scenes fact, basically, Uh, he won Andrew Garfield won a Tony for playing Prior Walter in an incredible revival of Angels in America. I wish I could have seen it live. I've only seen Mm. the recording of it. Uh, And basically, Lynn Miranda already had this lined up to direct and was like, oh, that's my Jonathan Larson, and knew that they had this mutual friend, and so called up their mutual friend and was like, hey, can Andrew sing? I'm thinking of approaching him for a role in a movie I'm working on, and the friend was like, oh my God, have you never heard him sing? He has a voice of an angel. And Lynn was like, perfect, gonna call his agent. And then the friend called Andrew Garfield and was like, you can sing, right? I think I, I just recommended you for a job. You can sing, right? <laughs> oh God, I like, love I good can support <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. He did such a good job. He's so
0: wonderful. The week that we're recording this, he did a promotional appearance on, I believe, Stephen Colbert for this movie. Mm. Uh, this movie was delayed twice in production. Uh, the biggest change, they've been filming for about a week in March 2020. So guess what happened there? Uh-huh. Uh, but that yep. had actually already been previously delayed where they were supposed to start production in uh, like fall and winter of 2019. And it ended up getting delayed, I think in part because Andrew Garfield's mother passed away. Mm. And so he was talking about, about his experience filming Tick, Tick, Boom and grief and just saying like he he has such an interesting, well-articulated perspective where he basically says he doesn't want to lose that grief because that grief is a reminder of all the love he never got to express to his mother. And he it's a reminder of all the love he did give to her and that they shared. And I just I think Andrew Garfield always as a performer has been incredibly empathetic and thoughtful even as Spider-Man and I think he really is such a good fit for Jonathan. And so I'm very happy that those stars lined up and that he can actually sing. Thank God. Because <laughs> this, yeah. this movie wouldn't work
1: if he could. No, 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 no.
0: Yeah, I was pleasantly
1: surprised that I've never seen him, like, perform and stuff before. So when he started singing, like, I knew it was a musical, but as soon as he started singing, I was like,
0: hey, dude, he's so physical too. He's got fantastic hair in this movie. But while he's singing, his face is like his eyes are dancing all over the place. He's got like these, he's got an elastic face. It's like Donald O'Connor and singing in the rain where he's just like smiling and frowning and twisting in all these different shapes. And his shoulders are moving. And he just is like such a, like a connected performer where it's like, I feel like all of his joints, every part of his body is on a hinge that he can just swing in any particular direction. (laughs) And then his voice. Yeah. It's just the right amount of good. Yeah. It's, it's, he's not, you know, (laughs) he's not a Josh Groban who has this, you know, beautifully honed instruments that he spent like half his life developing. Mm -hmm. It's just someone who has a really strong voice and knows how to tell a story. And that his showmanship is as, as much a part of it as the physical ability. And I think
1: that it really shines how his voice is not undermined at all because there's a lot of very, big Broadway stars of this or just, like, singers in general. And I... Because being in, like, a film that has all these big stars and you're not, like, normally a singer, mm-hmm. I would feel so, like, anxious and be like, oh, no, like, it's not going to be up to standard. But I think it really blends in really nice. And it wasn't... Understated. I
0: know. A shout out to Jonathan Larson, the real person, because there is a difference between Jonathan the person and Jonathan the character. They even say in the beginning of the movie, this is a real story except for the part that Jonathan made up, which mm. I didn't really think about because I was like, oh, of course, like everyone makes things a little more dramatic. And then I was looking up the, the historical inaccuracy section on Wikipedia, and mm. the man changed a lot about his real life to make a better story. And people also criticize Rent by saying, oh, you know, Rent, like the story isn't strong or like, Roger spends the whole musical writing a number that's not even that good. I disagree. I actually love the song that Roger writes for Mimi. Whatever. (laughs) Uh, Even if it's not as good as one song, Glory. Whatever. (laughs) But Jonathan Larson never got the chance to revise Rent. It opened off-Broadway in, I think, January of 1996 and then got an immediate transfer. It opened on Broadway in 96 in April, like three months later. Like It was such a quick process, probably in part. I don't know anything about that transfer, but it didn't have to go through a revision process because there was no one there to revise it. And so I think it's a disservice to Jonathan Larson to say his writing wasn't strong based on a thing that never got to like be in front of an audience and get revised. Because then I look at the way he changed his life uh, and turned it into Tick, Tick, Boom. And then the way he changed that. So Tick, Tick, Boom originally opened... Uh, in September of 1990 as a workshop about eight months after his 30th birthday in February of that year. Uh, and then op- and originally under the title Boho Days then opened again mm. later on a couple years later in 1991 and then again in 92 and 93 which is the production that we see Jonathan perform in the movie. Mm. So like Tick, mm-hmm. Tick, Boom he wrote and edited over the course of four years and changed it wildly. All this to say I think that's my favorite phrase all this to say <laughs> there's a lot of parts about Jonathan's real life that he changed to make a better story. Uh, Tell me more. The character of Michael, who is Jonathan's yeah. best friend, uh, is based on his friend uh, Matt, who is still alive today. Uh, but Matt was never an artist. Matt was never an actor who dropped out to pursue big money in advertising. I did mm. laugh because his big money that gets him a really fancy apartment in New York City alone was high five figures. Not to say that high five figures isn't impressive, but I was like, can high five figures get you your own apartment in New York now? I think so.
1: Oh, probably not.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so the the friend was never an artist. Uh, the Superbia Workshop, like his big musical that's happening the same week as his 30th birthday, actually happened when he was 28. And then two years later, oh. this musical, uh, his, his relationship with Stephen Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim had been mentoring him since like 1987 at this point. Like Stephen Sondheim had already known him for years. So in the musical, it's this big deal, but like Stephen Sondheim comes to see his show. Stephen Sondheim did yeah. go to see the workshop, but also... Already knew Jonathan at that point. Uh, him and his girlfriend never broke up. They definitely had a tumultuous off again on again relationship, but they were still together when he was when he died. Like so, all these mm. things of like this the end of this relationship, this watching a friend give up his passion, and it's like that didn't happen. That makes a better story. Yeah, I
1: think like it's really important that in the show, his agent tells him like write what you know, and then when you do, like some things in your life can be very theatrical and be interesting to see
0: but you do need to change it sometimes yeah. because realistic things are boring there's a lot of nonsense yeah. in everybody's day that nobody needs to hear about i will tell right? people like, about it anyways but that's to jenny on the phone <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like for example like in hamilton when
1: she's like i my father has no sons so i'm the only one it's like and then Willem and wells like no he he actually did have sons but like at the time like this is just what i wrote and it sounded good so this is what it's going to be like so in
0: hamilton there's the line to martha washington named a feral tomcat after him that's true That's not true. That's a lie. (laughs) That was made up. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) And
1: like, so it's not like people are going to come by and be like, this is not actually true. Because it's anything that's like based off of a true story, there needs to be some elements of falsehood in it to make it stick into the audience's mind. And also like, it needs to have more conflict and stuff, because that's just how things are formed. And at least like, North American media
0: exactly like the original show, which I haven't seen because I wasn't alive when it premiered, uh, was Jonathan Larson being like, "Here's my experience, but it's also like this. Here's what I want to do for musical theater." And this movie is very much a "Here's Jonathan's story," as we are mythologizing it, and also here's a love letter to the impact because again, like you look at what Broadway has become—not to say it's issue free—but it's it's a love letter to the industry as a whole because Jonathan loved musicals. And so this movie wants you to love musicals. And so this movie is trying to tell a story and tell a story.
1: Yes. And it's also interesting to see how you can see similar threads of like, yeah, he did have a close friend who like moved his way up, so to speak. And like you see that in like the characters in Rent too. Like there's a very similar character that's like that who used to be their roommate and then moved up. I, I love seeing the parallels because it's like, oh, it's like a artist's trademark kind Mm -hmm. of like oh this is like how this is the types of characters they have in their musicals or this is like their tropes they're really good at writing but because it's also he had some experience with that and it makes it feel incredibly
0: mournful that again that we did lose Jonathan Larson so early because Mm. who knows what he might have done afterwards of this huge success because that's an entirely new kind of pressure you're not trying to break it but you're trying to keep like Break out, you're trying to keep what you have and keep this Mm. attention. And so, but I think like everything that Jonathan Larson would have gone through with Rant on Broadway would have also made fantastic material for him to interpret and use as inspiration. We haven't actually talked about what the plot of this musical is like (laughs) succinctly. Kind of. So the plot of of this movie musical, musical movie, is uh, Mm. Jonathan Larson, as played by Andrew Garfield, is performing a show that he has written about his own life. And so the movie bounces back and forth between him performing this show to his friends and the audience and the events as he lived them, in quotes, because we just said, a bunch of it's made up. And basically, he's about to turn 30, and he hears the clock ticking, and he feels like he is running Mm -hmm. out of time. Huh, wow. Wonder why Lynn manuel Miranda was interested in pursuing this project. Because that's not a recurring oh theme god. in his work at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's so true. Uh
0: Lim oh Miranda god. also performed the role of Jonathan off Broadway in 2014, like the same oh. year that like in the in the year before Hamilton, he performed with uh, Karen Olivo uh, and Leslie Odom Jr. in tick Boom. Anyway, so like. Yeah, it's a whole meditation on I'm turning 30. At what point do I have to give away my passions? Do I ever have to? How do I balance Mm -hmm. life? How do I balance Mm -hmm. creating and all of these different things? And so it's all set roughly, the contents of the musical within the movie are all set over a week before his 30th birthday as he's about to perform a workshop or director workshop of this other musical he's been writing and like, everything is going wrong. He's decided to quit his job, but he has no money and they're going to cut off his power. And his girlfriend wants to move out of New York and get another, a, a more secure job. And his friend is going through all these things and there's just so much happening yeah. and he is ignoring all of it for the sake of working on this show. And so it's like, at what point do you sacrifice not just comfort for your art, but your life for mm. your art. And not I'm talking time, but like, like literally your life, but like he's cut off everything else that could bring him joy for the sake of writing this show.
1: And I think that there's also a common thread of like when he's at work and he's like, I'd rather not be here. Like time is like, is actually, it's a constant. Like it continues happening as much as it's frustrating and we've made it up, but it also, no, like time does pass. <laughs> um, and he discusses how Like, I want to be somewhere, but I can't because I'm right here. And like, oh, I get that. When it's like, I really, I need to go and talk to my friend. I need to do this thing. I should work on my show. But here I am at work because I have to be here. (laughs) Me every day at work.
0: I love my job. But sometimes I'm like, I need to be doing other
1: things. (laughs) Right? And then so you feel guilty for being at work and not doing your, like, what you want to do or the things that your, your values and your priorities are. And then there's also that. I feel guilty when I'm not at work because I should be at work so I can make money to do the things that I want to do. Then and it's guilty like you for can't relaxing because
0: you're not working, you're not earning money, but you're not pursuing your goals. So why are you just sitting on the couch watching Sunday in the park with George? Why aren't you sitting on the couch watching Sunday with the park in the park with George? Everyone yeah. should do that at least once in their life. It's a fantastic musical, the a fantastic production. Thank you, PBS. I've never seen That's it. That's okay. I wouldn't have if I hadn't taken a musical theater class in school. <laughs> <laughs> That is fair, that is fair. I have the advantage yeah. of doing that, which converted me.
1: There's a thread that goes on, like you said, they kind of, they, he changed it from his real life of how, like, his friend was an artist and he was, like, a cop-out to get, like, this, like, getting a bunch of money, doing all these things. And I think that no matter what side of the story you're on for things, everyone, the other person always seems like a villain. And I feel like humanity needs to get away from that because someone is not a cop-out If they find something that makes them feel comfortable and like gives them the lifestyle that they want and they're like, oh, but you quit on your art. It's like,
0: well, maybe they're just doing this right now. Comfort is not a small desire. Comfort is not a small thing to admit you want either. Exactly. And how much
1: thought and process it took for that person to do that. Is incredible and like just downmining them for that doesn't help because to judge Michael <laughs> for
0: giving up his artistic pursuits for comfort is to say, Well, Jonathan is just the inverse, Jonathan lives yeah. in a freezing cold apartment where the shower's in the kitchen. Like, it's like you
1: can't have this level of some su- superiority
0: on either side. And everyone in this musical is so bad about communicating, that's not really what we were talking about, but I need to give it like just yeah. to take a moment to be like, Everyone in this musical is so bad at communicating, Jonathan, obviously. Like, he's so myopic. I really hope I'm using that word correctly. He's so focused on his goal. He is ignoring everyone else in his life. And this is not to, you know, remove any blame or responsibility from him. But everyone else yeah. in his life, because he's been always so focused on his goals, have gotten used to, you know, kidding to that and, like, really only telling him things when he needs to know. But it means that he hears a thing once and is like, okay, I'll deal with that later. And they're like, actually, no, it needs to be dealt with now. So it's like his his girlfriend yeah. saying oh, I heard about this job I might apply on. And then 20 minutes later, i been like, actually, I already got it and I need to decide in the next three days. And he is not being a good partner in not listening to her anxieties or like having, mm. this, you know, having a discussion with it. But it's also just like, oh my God, both of you need to just be shaken a little bit because you can't drop
1: that on someone. I think the, the person who communicated the best was in the beginning of the movie when they were talking to Michael about how he got this job. And one of their friends is like, oh my God, I am so like happy and jealous for like about this, that you got this. And I was like, you know what? People need to own that you can be both. You can be, you can be, be happy and things. proud about someone and also be jealous. And you should be able to vocalize that. And whoever's hearing that should be able to take that on and understand that and not be like, hey, you're just jealous of me. Yeah, yeah, that's a feeling, a thought, an emotion that's valid. Exactly. Like, but you can have both. And he's communicating it so that person knows. And I'm like, hell yeah, man. I don't see for the rest of the film, but yes. Yes, correct. Speak or true.
0: I know. <laughs> then you also have Michael who's saying, hey, Jonathan, I know you're really busy, but let me take you out for lunch for your birthday. And also, I need to tell you this very serious news about myself in the movie. It's an HIV yeah. diagnosis. And so Jonathan yeah. is saying, oh, cool, birthday dinner. Uh, yeah, let's do that next week. And the friend is mad because he's like, well, I need to talk to you now. But the friend doesn't, art- Michael does not articulate why he needs to talk now until they're having yeah. an argument, which again, is not a criticism because I totally understand the feeling that you need to couch uh, bad news in good news and have it be like perfectly yeah. delivered. So I don't blame anyone in Jonathan's life or Jonathan for like waiting for that perfect moment to say something, but that perfect moment never yeah. comes. And so all of them are dealing with their ticking clocks. So Susan needs to make this decision. Michael doesn't know what his future holds. Like Carolyn and Freddie are all also artists working in a diner. Like every the story is about Jonathan's clock, but everyone is going through it.
1: Yeah. And I there's the line when Michael like tells Jonathan, he's like, I am HIV positive, and he's like, why didn't you tell me? And then there's like this pause and a look and he's like you you tried. You tried to tell me. And it's like, me. oh.
0: Yeah. Oh, my heart. And <sighs> I think the, music, the movie does such a good job of, like, letting Jonathan hold the accountability. Because I was like, I'm explaining it away. Like, oh, well, here's why he didn't. But it doesn't change the fact that he was extremely closed off and he was not listening. Like communication has to go both ways. If
1: you want, if you crave open communication, you have to be open to it. Yeah. Period. (laughs) Like you need to be available for that. And if you're not, then you can't get upset when people don't tell you stuff because you're not available. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, that line was just like, Oh my heart. Oh God. (laughs) It's so true. I did cry during this film. at The part where, after like Jonathan has this moment in the park and he sings a song, and he's like ah, oh. and then he goes back to Michael's place and he's just like drenched because it's been raining and he looks sad. And then they just look at him and he's like starts just rambling, being like I like I whatever happens, like I just know that I'm here for you and like I talk to the support group and then again we can do this. And he's just rambling, he's like, you look like shit. <laughs> he's like, so I know. <laughs> And then they just hug, and I just started openly... I had to
0: pause the movie. I could not stop crying. I saw this movie in theaters the first time. There was no time to pause. You just had to experience it, and you, I couldn't get off the train. It was me and the lady two seats down, both like... <gasps> when
1: you say something that's, like, so, like, personal and, like, so, like heart-wrenchingly like sad and out of your control and you like tell people you trust like that takes a lot of effort to do and then like but for you the person saying it like you probably thought about it like like you we said he was like i want to tell you for like he he's been living with it and so but after, this is Jonathan's first time hearing it, so he's like, "I could do this, do this, do this." It's just having like that supportive friend, but it's so fresh to them, and it's like the panic. Like, I want make sure that you know that I'm here for you, and it's just it. Oh my god, my soul, like. I just, I like wrote down. I was like, I just, I just start crying.
0: Like. It's a really good moment of like talking about how everyone is maybe struggling with communicating. And ultimately it doesn't matter if you do not have the right words, if you are there. Like you can figure out the right words together. But in that moment, it doesn't matter that Jonathan is like, we can try this and this and this. And I'm sorry. And oh my God. And this. And Michael's just like, but you're here right now, which is actually the most important thing. It's like, I need someone to just talk to.
1: It gets, it gets. Friendship is so important. And just knowing someone is there to listen to you and be by your side. And he's like, I'm here and I promise that. Which also just, you know, he dies. and that's that's really hard too. Because you know, he can't be. You can't hold off dealing with things. (laughs) You can't. Especially when it involves other people. Like, you're like, oh, we'll deal with this later. You can't do, like, like you were saying before, like time is ticking for everyone. Mm -hmm. Especially like for Michael when he was like, I want all these things because I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. I want to live this type of life because I, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know. I don't know. And it's like, you need to honor that for that person mm-hmm. and, like, be like, understand it. Let's, let's just talk, people. Just talk.
0: <laughs> Something I think is really interesting is, like, as I said earlier, this is, like, Jonathan's story from Jonathan's perspective, but you get little insights mm. into the lives of people like Michael and Susan, the girlfriend, um, yeah, and then you have this outer circle of characters of, and I wanted to just talk a moment to talk about Caressa and Roger, who are two people we see in the background of a lot of scenes in uh, of the the present of like the the lived experience moments of this movie. They're like in the background. They're at parties. They're both actors who are mm. in Jonathan's workshop for his for *Superbia*, his other musical, but they're in. Over half the movie, they sing on all the musical numbers because they're the two actors he has by his side when he's performing Tick, Tick, Boom, like to the audience that we're watching. Yes. And I think they're very interesting because they're people we see him like either meet or like be familiar with. And then Mm. you don't know anything else about them. I know nothing about Caressa. I know nothing about Roger's aspirations. But you get this sense by the end of the movie that they have become very, very good friends of Jonathan. And I just think it's interesting, like, the way you cannot control people see you. We're still only seeing them through Jonathan's eyes. So you don't need to know anything about them other than they're Jonathan's friend. I don't know what point I'm making here other than I like the fact that we don't know anything about them in the way that some people will always be unknowable to you. And
1: I think that it's a good reminder for people who are writing stories that not every single character needs to have a a fleshed out background that's, well, they do, but that doesn't need to be, like, expressed in the film Mm -hmm. you know like it's good to have multiple people because it really makes the world feel feel larger and the only thing i got was like i was watching i was like wait is that Vanessa Hudgens? It <laughs> That's is the first thing I thought I was like, hey, and then she was gone for a while. I was like, hey, was that a mistake? And maybe it wasn't. And then, and like I waited later. was like, wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> that is <laughs> Vanessa, Vanessa Hudgens.
0: <laughs> that is her. I love Vanessa Hudgens and what she's accomplished. Uh, she's yeah. also been in two productions of Friends. She's played Mimi and Maureen. So she is no. I think she's someone who's a perfect fit for this because she's someone who is well aware of Jonathan Larson's work. As, everyone is aware of it, but like she's she's performed in it. I guess is the point I'm making there. Yeah. This episode will be so easy to pick what audio clips we want to drop in, but we haven't actually really talked about any of the songs. So, did you want to give a moment to talk about any of the songs when they place in the musical? I know one we'll, we'll want to get into for other reasons as well. Yeah. Um, one song I really like is
1: um, No More. Yeah. Which was really fun. It had such an intense rent feeling and I love it rent is. so I was like it's, this is perfect the whole premise
0: of it is they're going to Michael's new apartment and it's like oh I don't want this life you're a cop-out oh my god a doormat oh my
1: god a working elevator <laughs> and it's just I'm like complaining about like roommates they've had
0: or, like, the shitty building they were in. Uneven floors, which isn't even something I thought to worry about until I lived in a place with uneven floors and it was hell. Everything was rolling around all the time. I didn't know I owned so many round things until they were rolling places. Yeah, the song is just so fun and it's,
1: like, goes back and forth between, like, heavy rock of, like, no more all these things and they're like, now we're in this glorious place and it's a cool, like, back and forth because not only are they visually showing you the differences, but... Like musically, they're also showing mm-hmm. it to you, and I'm like, yes,
0: I I love that type of stuff. And you can see the 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 way it would transition into into rent, which is really yeah, it's fun. Um, it's like a little Easter egg.
1: I agree. I also really liked the Sunday brunch song because not only was like I'm horrible with names, but every time someone else was on screen, I was like, I know I, that's a broad. Oh, I wait how to w- what and also I'm like god I am that customer I am the brunch Sunday brunch girl I know I could it could be cheaper from home but I am not and I am coming to brunch because I want to
0: it is a beautiful <laughs> homage to Sunday in the Park with George so it is like in the style of uh, that musical and then also just an incredibly funny song about working at a restaurant during Sunday brunch on the green
1: purple yellow red stone. The fools Who should eat at home Instead they pay on Sunday, Sunday For a cool orange, juice Sunday. orange juice or a bagel
0: <laughs> On the soft green and ventricle stoves so- Presumably terrible for everyone involved unless you're the customer
1: straight up like a couple weeks ago i was at sunday brunch and they only had like two servers and i felt so bad for them and i'm like i have and it's like a fairly new ish diner but it like not new but it moved close to like more residential so more people were going and i felt so bad for them and i was like i just like an eggs benny
0: Uh, what has been described by many, including myself, I'm not going to say I'm the first person to make this show because I know I'm not. It's the <laughs> Avengers endgame of Broadway. Yep. So there's a scene earlier, uh, I'm going to be a huge theater snob. What's up? Okay. So there's a scene earlier with equally impressive cameos, but they're less recognizable because there's a scene where Jonathan is at a writer's group and you see all these like writers who are sharing their music, uh, and it's all Broadway theater composers, Writers. Oh, and I knew this because I saw Dave Malloy, my number one guy, who wrote great comment, and I was like, "That's my special <laughs> little guy." Uh, so i saw Dan Malloy. i was like that's my boy and then they also had uh, grace McLean, who plays uh, maria in a great comment was also in the audience and i was like them so i was like wait presumably everyone else in this room is also a writer so it is it's uh it's i can't list them there's like 20 of them but jason robert brown who did last five years is there kiara alegria hudes is there and she wrote the book for in in the heights uh stephen schwartz uh who was involved with wicked mark shyman did hairspray uh tom kitt who did next to normal Incredible cameos, but they're less recognizable. I just wanted to give those guys a shout out too. Uh, More importantly, sorry, but they're celebrities, is that Sunday brunch, every customer is a Broadway legend. And I just felt like I was repeatedly being like electroshocked. Yeah,
1: I like sent you a Snapchat. I was like, I need to document this moment. Like my jaw was agape. Like I, I just kept gasping. Every time I was like, Oh, another one! Oh, and I—they kept—they just, just keep happening. With, they kept topping. It was just so many Broadway stars, and I'm like, how? What? And like, like from all eras of Broadway. Yeah, and I didn't realize originally that like Lynn manuel directed it because apparently I wasn't paying attention to the credits at the beginning I only realized at the end what it said and I was like oh he got sway with people
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's like the sway is a love letter to not just Jonathan Larson but musical theater as a whole because it's like Lynn using his his position in the theater world to bring mm. all these people in but it's all the people who care about Jonathan Larson and just care about Broadway and care about Sondheim uh, yeah. and, and, and who with a great love who want to be part of this thing and want to collaborate and just appear to be like I was there I was here
1: uh, that makes sense when you say it's like an homage to that film mm-hmm. or that musical because and all of a sudden the, the diner is a set yeah. and it changes and that song was just really fun
0: <laughs> I could list the like 20 people in this number but honestly if you haven't seen it yet just go watch and then if you don't recognize them all that's okay because now you have a cool person to look up but just <laughs> legend after legend I, I just thinking about it I'm like I'm gonna oh god I'm sweating again I'm so well, sweaty like- all the time <laughs> I
1: mean, I was really happy because I remember when we did Eurovision, I didn't recognize all the Eurovision people. And it was like, it's
0: like that, except for I knew who they were. I like I know, the way they're shot in Eurovision and in this, you're like, oh, okay, you're obviously important, but I don't know who that is. Uh, but they bring in original uh, cast members from Rent, uh, Renee Elise Goldblury and Philip Soo from Hamilton. Andre DeShields Shields from Town is there. Beth Malone dressed as Big Allison is there. Uh, Oh, okay. If we're talking about Glee, I will say Brian Stokes Mitchell, Broadway legend is there. Uh, He is one Tonys. He's an icon. I will always unfortunately know him as one of Rachel's dads from Glee. Sorry, Brian Stokes Mm. Mitchell. (laughs) Cheetah Rivera was there. Oh, Bernadette Peters is there who is the lead yeah. actress in Sunday in the Park with George. And so oh, she appears. I love her. Like Patty LuPone instills a fear in me, unlike any other human being on this earth. <laughs> Bernadette Peters yeah. is that same level of icon. And I just, I mean, she'd probably also be very intimidating if I ever met her, but I see her and I just think of love.
1: Oh. Uh, and Andrew
0: Garfield looks at her with these big, beautiful cow eyes. I'm like, that's how I would also look at Bernadette Peters if I ever saw her.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's such like, a shock to the face of like it takes you out of the film, but like that's what they're doing because they're making that moment like it's on stage. Yeah. So it's like it takes you out, but it's purposeful. It is definitely like, the
0: most talked-about scene from this movie. And again, I feel kind of bad because uh-huh. I'm like, you're it's so fun to talk about all the cameos. This is the thing where I was like I need somebody to watch this so like and talk about all the cameos. And I'm like, oh, but I want to talk about the actual content of the musicals as well. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but it is <laughs> incredible. And there's so many other cameos sprinkled out throughout this entire movie in bit parts, uh, like people are showing up in the focus group and in the audience of, of tick tick boom and just like all around cameos 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 cameo
1: cameo cameo well, cameo um, I really liked
0: that I didn't organize the person because how would I have but you have a flashback scene where you have Jonathan talking about how him and his friend Michael were in high school plays in high school together and mm. you see like a drama teacher give them flowers that's Lin-Manuel Miranda's high school drama teacher and I think that's no. nice oh no that's so
1: cute Oh, that's nice. I like that. I have a couple more things. Focus up, focus up, focus, focus. Okay. So there's a scene when like he's swimming and then all of a sudden like the lanes become sheets of music. I just wrote down, that's neat.
0: I thought it looked cool. It's I really liked it. It's pretty. I saw it in the in the trailer. And so he's swimming earlier in the movie and I was like, oh, is this the big moment where they become sheet music? And then I was like, oh wait, now they're saving that for a big moment at the end. And they are, and it's beautiful.
1: I didn't watch the trailer at all. So I had no idea what was gonna happen. So I was very excited. It's a lovely visual. Another line, be- so he's trying to write this main song for the female in the production.
0: There's so many meta layers of shows happening in this show. If yeah, the show the production. Of the show, I apologize, but it's unavoidable. <laughs> And like I like I thought this song
1: was fine, but there is one specific line that really got me is the characters talking about like how they're trying to speak up and like talk to the person and find their voice. And then there's a line, but you turned off the volume just when I began to sing. And oh, that stabbed to the heart. And I'm like, that is such an interesting line because it's very much of that like getting up that courage to finally speak about something and be like hey like and it's not even about to speak it's what i'm about to sing i'm, I'm about to like it's more than talking you know and so but the whole idea of like you didn't even turn it down you just cut it off completely. And I think that really shows, like, the whole arc of the film of how Jonathan just kept not It's not, not
0: communication. Talking. Because he does... He, the whole song is called Come to Your Senses. And he hasn't at this point in the musical. He's had the breakthrough enough no. to write the song, but he's still very much, fo- much focused on himself and how he can use this revelation to be something he can make for his show. And it takes like another 20 minutes of the movie and of this discussion of him, of realizing his girlfriend hasn't come to see the show. His best friend yeah. did come to see it, but is mad that Jonathan is like, still won't talk to him even though the workshop's over and out. And Jonathan doesn't come to a until the third act happens 20 minutes later. And like, I think he only comes
1: to senses when, because he's been working on this musical for like eight years and then he does it and it's getting great reviews and everyone's like, this is great. But like, no one's like picked it up or wants to do it. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, the whole idea of, like, I've worked, like, so hard and nothing has happened. And um, not to bring it back to BTS, but Yungi has this quote when he said, like, like during, I think it was the Dark and Wild album. And he said, it was my first time I realized, like, effort doesn't equal results. Yeah. That's not always what happens. And it doesn't help that his agent before was like, yeah, it's like, it's like getting killed except for with musicals instead of, like... Having like a heart attack or something, like a musical, you find out you're already dead, and you're like, oh, because you're putting your heart and soul into something, and all of a sudden it's like not received, and God, that hurts. It's a great narrative on like the creative process, like the the good and the bad of the creative process. Of like he needs to do this thing, but he can't, but because there's so many other things going on, and like you can see how no one's like the villain necessarily.
0: Jonathan and is as the we hero said, and the villain. <laughs>
1: Like, life isn't happening to you. You are, you create your own life. So, like, he needs to deal with his shit. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Jonathan is saying, well, my friends didn't tell me this. And his friends are like, again, you aren't listening. What are we supposed to yeah. do? Yes. Um, yeah. You just, you take everything about our lives and turn it into something for your musical, which then he does even more so, but <laughs> more critical success and he does have like
1: some like self-awareness like there's the one song when it's talking about like the, the, he's speaking in like third person which i really like is one when it says like johnny holds so tight and then he starts because it's also with like the three other character our singers johnny and he's can't like decide. johnny holds so tight and then he says, I hold to that. Yeah. And I love how, like, he has some self-awareness. And also, I just like that in musical theater when it's like...
0: I like that because it's him having self-awareness, but it's like he had to turn himself into a character to be able to look at his actions. Because he can't look at them as yes. himself. He's like, I have to look at this as if I was writing a show. And what makes sense for that character to do? And that's what gives him that self-awareness is thinking of himself not even as a real person almost.
1: Yes. You have to, like be subjective, which is really difficult. But if you make a musical and you're the character, you got to man.
0: My favorite choreography in the whole show is probably uh, a scene where Susan and Jonathan's girlfriend and him are having a huge fight and they both break up and it's intercut with uh, him performing a song during his show, with Mm. Vanessa Hudgens called Therapy, and it's just them sitting on stools. And I say choreography, even though they're not getting up off the stools because they're moving in unison, their eyes are over the place, but it's all just making sure they're turning their heads in the right direction, up, down, left, right. It's like big band choreography, but if they're going so fast and you don't have the luxury of like, being able to move your whole body, you have to be able to just be in control of your head. And it's so impressive. And very funny amidst a very dramatic, upsetting scene.
1: It was like they're puppets. Yeah. They don't have control mm-hmm. over them. And they're just talking, but without emotions. And it's a song called Therapy. It's like, I was upset that you were upset that I was upset. I was upset with you with what I said. And it's like all these things. It's like they're going through the motions, but they're not actually dealing with it. They're just saying it. And yeah, the choreography was fun, but also like kind of creepy. What do you think about how like it seems like they they're just going through the motions?
0: I saw this in Spencer in the same week and Spencer's another one where you know what happens to Princess Diana in her life, but mm. the movie doesn't show you that. It ends with her on a high note and it's like it's giving her the win, which you know and it's mm. it's it's satisfying for the viewer. And Tick, Tick, Boom is similar in that, you know, the the content of the musical as Jonathan is performing it in the movie is him saying, you know, I still hear this ticking, but if I play loud enough, maybe I won't hear it anymore. But mm. the movie ends on the bittersweet note of us knowing about what happened to Jonathan Larson in real life. They do a little thing. They talk about Rent. They talk about that success. But then it goes back to Jonathan again. And so it doesn't close on his professional success. It closes on this shot of him finishing the show and you see everyone in the audience. And so you see his friends mm. and his agent and Stephen Sondheim who has become a close mentor and a friend to him. And I just, I like that it ends in this note of Jonathan's life was cut short and he, it wasn't an easy life, but look at what he did have. And it lets him end on a win. Even with Susan there in the background watching mm. from the back, and it's, I like that too of how people will come in and out of your life, and even if you don't want to be in their life anymore, you're still allowed to care for them and care about them. Mm. Yeah, which I think is really important to know when we think about like how we care about Jonathan Larson without ever knowing about knowing him. I find it
1: ironic in the best way that the last song is "Actions Speak Louder Than Words" when his biggest downfall is that he wasn't—they weren't communicating mm-hmm. and not using their words. But that's, like, how this person communicates is through their actions and, like, producing and doing
0: all these things. And and for Jonathan, the biggest action isn't it's speaking, it's listening. So for Jonathan, it's, yeah. he doesn't need any more words. He's said enough. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like, it for the
1: outside, it's like, yeah, I actually speak louder than words. And if you watch it, you're like, yeah, but you should have, like, you know, did talk a
0: little bit more. <laughs> you maybe should have like listened and like communicated a bit I I don't have a problem with it because I see like the actions of like him it's the words of him saying I'll do it later I'll do it later I'll do this it's like him actually taking the time mm. to do the thing that he promises he'll do so he will have that conversation with Susan he will stand up like be there for Michael he will listen he will keep working like it's about like him doing things for other people is how I see that. So it's not. Yeah, it's, I totally get where you're coming from, but I just like oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That's like him being like, oh my god, I need to participate in the real world more often. Oh,
1: not that. Not that I'm saying that. Like it. Like I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Of him being like, actually speak louder than words. It's, it's like a revelation of like he mm-hmm. needs to be starting to do things. And the line of like, what is better, like a cage or wings? Like ask a bird. It depends. Like he's a bird. He needs to fly. Like, it's all about whose perspective you're asking. And he's telling his own story. And some of it is not even in his own perspective Mm -hmm. because he's changed it. Mm -hmm. And... I enjoyed this show a lot. I I wrote down
0: as soon as it started. I was like, oh, no, I'm hooked right away. Here we go. (laughs) Okay, I have two more things I want to say really quickly. Uh, One is just another trivia fact and one that is an observation that just happened to me right now, uh, which is you have a scene (laughs) where Jonathan is in this writer's group uh, and there's two people giving feedback. The leader of the writer's group, I think, in the show is named Walter and Stephen Sondheim. Hmm. And obviously Stephen Sondheim, fucking icon, legend. Thank you. Uh, Also, like, just in talking about, like, grief and remembrance and legacy and, like, mentorship, Stevenson and I passed away at the age of 91 the week that we're recording this, which is Mm -hmm. just very, very strange. It's... I I kind of just thought he was always going to be there. Yeah, yeah. But... They're in this group, and Walter, this fictional character, gives his feedback, and Stephen sometimes says, no, 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 I disagree. I, I think this, and the guy says, oh, well, we're, we're saying the same thing, actually, and changes what he said. That's us when we disagree about something because we're both so polite. Like, I remember one of your friends being like, you guys never disagree on the show? And I was like, yeah, that's not our vibe because it's like, listen, I will be able to pull a good thing out of anything Jenny shows to me. And so I'll, I'll hear what she's saying, and I can agree with her,
1: Even if I don't agree with what she's saying. My famous quote, I will stand by your side, but not by your point. (laughs) true like i we may disagree but i will still stand by your side for what you're saying because you're saying it but not necessarily what you're saying but i'll stand by your
0: side i know our (laughs) our, like first attempt at recording an episode was three hours long and it was uh, both of us being furious because i didn't like Jeremy Hansen and jenny didn't like great comment but we didn't want to make the other one displeased (laughs) so we're just like well actually i don't know (laughs) well then i agree but yeah um we made it work We made it work. Uh, And then also (laughs) just uh, a cameo I wasn't even aware of until this week, because I think Lynn didn't speak about it until this week, uh, which is that Bradley Whitford, noted (laughs) Emmy winner, TV guy, West Wing, Handmaid's Tale, he's done stuff, a lot of stuff. Bradley Whitford plays Stephen Sondheim in this movie, and the movie, uh, towards the end, he leaves a voicemail for Jonathan saying, you know, good stuff, would love to meet with you Mm -hmm. and talk more. Uh, And Lin-Manuel Miranda showed Stephen Sondheim the film and the script and was like, here's how I portray you. And Stevenson, I basically was like, this is very kind. Thank you for putting me in a very nice light. Uh, Mm. But the the voicemail's too nice. The voicemail's not something I don't remember what I said, but that's too nice. That's not what I would have said. Can I rewrite it? And my mom Miranda was like, I mean, you're Steven Sondheim. Yeah, sure, totally. You can rewrite my movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he rewrites the voicemail. But Bradley Whitford, a very busy actor, wasn't available to re record it. So Steven Sondheim did it. He's like, I'll do it myself. So that's actually Steven Sondheim's voice. Whoa!
1: John, Steve Sondheim here. Rosa gave me this number. I hope it's okay to call you. I didn't get a chance to speak with you after the reading, but I just wanted to say it was really good. Congratulations. I'd love to get together and talk to you about it if you have any interest, no pressure. The main thing though, is that it's first rate work and has a future and so do you. I'll call you later with some thoughts if that's okay. Meanwhile, be proud.
0: Just the fact that like Stephen Sondheim, one of the last things he ever did was do this incredibly kind like gesture to artists ever, don't give up. You you have value, Is just like, yeah. oh my God. Uh, incredible
1: that's super special
0: Uh, yeah and so I really love this musical and the love that it has for Jonathan and Mm. for theater and for whatever comes next I guess that's all I have to say about Tick Tick Boom but uh it's it's a good time and it's on Netflix so truly watch it from the comfort of your own home and have a very nice time
1: yes do it Just take two hours out of your day, watch a film, good times.
0: I have not stopped listening to the soundtrack on Spotify. Same, by the I way. know. Spotify rap already cut off its recording period, and so R.I.P. for the presence that uh, TikTok would have had on it. Oh, uh, uh, Would you like a quiz to close us off for the day? Hell yeah. I was originally going to do a quiz about the cameos and I was like, Emma, that's impossible because you're going to talk about them before then. So like, <laughs> there's no point I'm in I'm so being...
1: glad you didn't because I'm so bad with.
0: Names. I know. And I was like, also, yeah, there's too many names. I was going to say like, how many, I, I don't even know. I didn't write the quiz. So I was like, we're going to talk about it. And that's just too complicated because there's again, so many cameos and so many layers yeah. to every cameo of like, well, this person was in rent, but she also did this with the Miranda. And then they also mm. did this. Uh, all this to say, I have just, like, a general, like, little Broadway quiz of things that are tangentially connected to the show. Okay. So, uh, Stephen Sondheim, Broadway legend, yes. uh, wrote a lot. His his first Broadway musical was West Side Story, which opened when I mm. believe he was 27 uh, and was revived on Broadway last year, has the movie coming out this December. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many musicals did Stephen Sondheim write that appeared on Broadway?
1: 10? 16? I was almost gonna say 17. I was oh. like Jenny, just say ten. <laughs>
0: Damn it. Sixteen over the course of like God. 50 years. Pretty impressive. Fair. Oh, so how many? Broadway productions of Stephen Sondheim's have been. By that I mean, so he had 16 shows that opened on Broadway, including revivals. How many shows has he had on Broadway? If I got this number wrong, don't at me. I was like (laughs) rigorously researching and counting things. I'm pretty sure I'm right. So obviously it's more than
1: 16 because it would include that number at least. Um, So let's say... 50.
0: Okay, now I just got so scared that my math is wrong again, so we're gonna add them all again because I just got so paranoid. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry for this break. I just don't trust my own math skills ever in my life, which totally is fair if you realize that one time uh, I subtracted four from 10 and got it wrong. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why are you working in the negatives? Are you all right? (laughs) Or 10. No, four from 10. So the answer
1: should have been six. Oh, I thought you said you minus 10 from four. And I was like, oh no.
0: (laughs) Okay. No, I was right. We were fine. Um, so there, the correct answer is not 50. It is 38. Oh. Oh. Do you want to guess which one has been the most revived? West Side Story? West Side Story, which I said, including the original production, been on Broadway six times. But then I got Damn. paranoid because I was like, uh, if ever all of them were twice and West Side Story is six, I was like, sure, that should be higher. But a lot of them have actually only been on Broadway once. Mm. If you wanted to be really picky, I guess you could say 38 and a half. Because Sunday in the Park with George was revived three times and then also had a, or revived twice, but then also they did a concert on Broadway. And I was like, does the concert count as a nah, full revival? Yeah, so I gave it count. a half point. Now. No. Um, okay. Yeah, lots of his shows have uh, uh, done significantly more on off-Broadway, mm. unsurprisingly. He, he's a legend. Okay, that question took so long. So let's split this. <laughs> Rent won Best Original Musical at the 50th Tony Awards in 1996. It was nominated alongside three other musicals, that I have never heard of. Oh no. Sorry to everything else that season. I'm gonna give you four titles. Three of them were the the nominees that lost to Rent. One of them is made up. Which one do you think is a fake musical? Oh, okay. Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk, Sunset and Vine, Chronicle of a Death Foretold, or Swinging on a Star. The Chronicle one. That is a real musical. Don't know what it's about. Didn't look it up. (laughs) Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk, Sunset and Vine, or Swinging on a Star.
1: Swinging on a Star? That is
0: also a real musical. Oh, God. 50-50 chance. Bring in the um, noise, bring in the funk, or Sunset and Vine? Bring in the noise, bring in the funk. That is also a real musical. The <laughs> <laughs> like one was Sunset and Vine. Oh, which is a real yes, intersection hey, hey, in LA. Wait, but. does
1: everyone want to hear this? That's a swing and a miss from Jenny. <laughs> God damn it. I was like... In the, like, they all sounded good, but the Sunset Vine just sounded like it was a thing. It is a thing. It's a real intersection
0: in LA. Oh, oh my God. We need to move on. No. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, that being said, I do need to look up what all three of those other musicals are about, because they all have fantastic names. Yes. Uh, so, my last question for you is, uh, okay. Vanessa Hudgens, I would say, aside from Zephron, is, like, the most successful... Uh, high school musical alumni and she wasn't for a while but she's really like made a comeback in musicals I love her um I actually (laughs) know nothing about her life so like I'm saying I love her based entirely on her performances (laughs) but she made her Broadway musical debut in 2015 in the musicals Gigi and she performed uh for it at the Tonys uh which high school musical cast member introduced her performance at the Tony Awards was it Zac Efron Corbin Bleu or Ashley Tisdale Corbin Bleu Ashley Tisdale, Sharpe Evans' worst nightmare of having to introduce oh. Gabriella
1: Montez at the Tony Awards. It's my thing. Oh my I God. I knew it was a Zac Efron.
0: <laughs> for sure. Oh my, that's hilarious. The layers on I that. I know. That is Corbin Bleu did star uh, on Broadway actually as Usnavi in In the Heights though. So he's got a, a Lynn connection Not as well. Okay. Layers on layers it's all connected. Those are oh, my three. Yeah. Oh, wait, actually, I have one more question for you. That's a lie. I did four just for fun. Uh, the actress who plays Jonathan's mother in one scene of this movie is Judy Kuhn, uh, who is a noted Broadway actress. She is also the singing voice of a Disney character. Is she the singing voice for Pocahontas, Megara, or Esmeralda? Pocahontas? Yeah. Yay, we're ending Hell- on a win. <laughs> Disney facts coming in handy for Jenny. Yes. Hell yeah. Cool. And so those are all my questions, quizzes. <laughs> I don't know what a word I'm looking for. That's all I have to say about Tictic Boom. It's a really yeah. good movie. Uh, there's so much trivia to be found with it because so many people are in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a really good time to so check it out. Yeah. Do you want to do a little spiel? I will. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or Tumblr at Podcast. You can also email us at podcast at gmail.com. Uh, as you know, if you listen to this or any other podcast, we always appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. And we'd also like to give a special shout out to DJ Jenny's friend who's editing our episodes and being a really yeah. outstanding dude all around. Thank you so Hell much DJ. Yeah. Thank you. Do you want to talk about his channel or anything? <laughs> do <Did> we, sh- <laughs> DJ, next time, if you have this again, you don't have to do it. It's an obligation. Do you want us to promo
1: something? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Thanks DJ. So, yeah, so DJ edited a Last week's episode and this week's episode, and I am internally and um always thankful. Yes, <laughs> Thank you so much for editing it. It's it, it means a lot. Um DJ, you and, yeah, if- and your fiancé should also watch Tick Tick Boom. I didn't want to dox her, so you two should also watch <laughs> Tick Tick Boom at some point. It's a really good movie. Yes. I think both of you would really like it. And if you want to follow some more of DJ's stuff. Um, there's actually a link that you can follow to see a bunch of his um, media that he does. So if you go to Linktree forward slash Rainproof Media, you can find that. So L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Rainproof Media. And there'll be all the links there to find like Rainproof Gaming, Rainproof Media, like a bunch of cool stuff there that he does with his friend, Darren. Very talented. They they often stream on Sundays. Have a lovely Sundays. It's great. You can watch it and it's delightful high-quality, good goofs, fun times, I highly recommend. And also, thank you again, DJ is very Thank you. Um, and as for everyone else watching as well, um, I hope that you like what you like because
0: your opinion is valid. As long as it's the same as mine and Jonathan's.